According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Once again, we are in Proverbs chapter 10. I think this is now our third week in Proverbs chapter 10. And we're ready to uh, maybe go past verse 1. <laughs> Might even get to verse 2. The Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. Before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer, asking God the Father to set aside distractions to bless the study of his word today. Shall we pray? Holy Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and the blessing that it is for us to assemble together. Father, we... uh, we don't want to take this for granted. It is a grace provision. It is getting more and more rare, Father, in our nation and in our culture. Uh, Father, it seems that fewer and fewer believers have a priority for eternal truth. And uh, yet, Father, here we are. We thank you for it. Continue to increase our appetite. If our appetite uh, starts to diminish, then uh, stoke it uh, higher. And uh, just keep us hungry, Father. We might grow more and more. And uh, Father, I just thank you for being faithful in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, Proverbs chapter 10. As we've uh, highlighted with respect to this, we have a huge hinge here. The Proverbs of Solomon forms a subheading. And so moving forward now, chapters 10 and following are going to be different than uh, chapters 1 through 9. And uh, we'll have other subheadings in chapter 25, 30, and 31. Uh, some folks find uh, a fourth subheading there in chapter 22. I uh, don't necessarily, so we'll just kind of take it on these uh, on this basis. We're going to take 10 through 24 as a unit, and uh, and then 25 through 29 as a unit. Chapter 30 by itself, and chapter 31 by itself. Uh, chapter 10 is a contrast between the righteous and the wicked. In fact, most of the chapters in say 10 through 18 uh, demonstrate that. Sadiq versus Rasha, and uh, I mean it just jumps off the page at you. Every almost every verse seems like has either righteous or wicked in it, or both, and it just jumps uh, out of the page when you look when you look at chapters one through nine, much more limited in the use, and then starting in chapter ten, it's highly concentrated. Uh, we gave a couple of subpoints in this A and B as we talked about Sadiq and we talked about Rasha. And I hope we're clear on these things. Um, The righteousness is not our righteousness. We're not producing this. We're not uh, impressing God or men with our own standard, with our own righteousness, our own goodness. We have none. Uh, But we receive Christ's goodness. We receive His righteousness imputed to our account. And it's that righteous standard that we conduct our lives by. And that's our walk that's in conformity to His righteous standard. And so righteousness and wickedness as a contrast, uh, hopefully we understand that it's not us to produce, it's Him to produce in and through us for His good pleasure. Thirdly, Proverbs 10.1 forms a great threshold between parental wisdom and public wisdom. Uh, We don't have the the second person address of my son and the the begging and the pleading of of, uh, the face-to-face begging and pleading between a parent and his child. It's not... Uh, that's what we have in the first nine chapters. We have that pleading, that direct interaction where you're, you're looking your child in the eye and saying, use wisdom, <laughs> okay? 
Once we get to chapter 10 and these chapters that follow, it's in the third person. It's much more impersonal. It says, look, a wise son does this. A foolish son does that. And it leaves it in, in the impersonal expression. It leaves it to the volition of the person to either conform or not conform. To, to choose you this day which, which road you're going to follow. Are you going to use God's wisdom or are you not going to use God's wisdom? Because you are an adult now. You are accountable now. You have full adult generational standing. And God will deal with you as He deals with everyone else in your generation. Are you living the Word of God or not living the Word of God? And so it's a great threshold between parental wisdom and public, uh, personal public wisdom. And I'm going I'm to stick with that title, personal public wisdom. And, and I'm not going to cross off either the personal or the public, all right? We are personally accountable for how we live. God will deal with us personally. But we're also expected to live publicly. We should have public impact in our faith. We ought to have impact in our, in our families, in our uh, culture, in our society, in our nation. We had a, uh, the wisdom that we live by ought to be communicated and reflected and demanded uh, in our in our nation, all right. And uh, if we're if we're engaged in a business dealing with somebody, and uh, he wants to do something shady, we ought to stand in wisdom and say, no, I don't partake in those in those shady business dealings, all right. I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stand for that, and and make that public declaration. We shouldn't expect any business in our community to have shady practices, all right. We shouldn't expect our state government, our local government, or our national government to to be hypocritical in the administration of justice. That's not wisdom in public life. And uh, they, can, they can serve Satan if they want. He's the liar from the beginning, but we serve the God of truth. And the God of truth expects righteousness and justice in public life. And so we take that stand. We absolutely take that stand. It is personal public wisdom. And this is going to be a battle because I tell you, there are forces, and you've, you've encountered them, there are forces that want you to keep your faith to yourself. Keep your beliefs to yourself. You're free to believe what you want to believe, just don't tell us about it. right? Believe what you want, but just keep it at home. Keep it in your homes, keep it in your churches. Keep it out of public life. And they're telling you that all the time. And actually, while they tell you that, they're lying through their teeth. Because they really don't expect it. They want you to believe what you want to believe. They want you to believe what they believe. All right, And that's, uh, that's the final piece of the puzzle when it comes right down to it. No. So uh, this, this uh, personal public wisdom is, is vital, I think. And when a culture loses it, it's gone. Jesus said, if, it, if, if the land loses its salt, will it ever be salty again? And uh, the rule of thumb is no. The, the hypothetical answer to that hypothetical question is no. Okay? Not hypothetical, rhetorical. The rhetorical answer to that rhetorical question is no. When the land is done being salt, that land is done. All right? It will vomit its inhabitants out, and God may uh, choose to put new inhabitants in that land, uh, those that will defend truth. Okay? All right, so we're on this great threshold. Understand that uh, no matter how great or how terrible parents were in training their children, adults stand before God and man accountable for their own application. And so on this threshold between chapters 1 through 9 and Chapters 10 through 24, we want to understand this. Um, I'm accountable to feed my flock, but each believer is accountable for what they do with what they've been fed, (laughs) all right? I I feed, 
And whether, uh, whether the sheep uh, chews it or spits it out or swallows it or doesn't swallow it, um, and how they digest it and how they live it, that's, that's beyond my realm. Okay, I'm here to feed the flock. And uh, you will stand before God based upon your production, what you did with what you were given. And that's the accountability that we have. To whom much is given, much shall be required. Gladness and or grief, these are the parental experiences after the adult son or daughter enters into their own generational accountability. You know, in, in, the, in the child generation, you can, you can take action. <laughs> when you're raising children and uh, they defy your standards, you can apply consequences. And Proverbs uh, determines that we should. If we spare the rod, we are going to spoil the child. We do need to administer the, the, what do they call that, the board of education to the seat of learning. All right, we do need to um, enforce the things, and we have the freedom to enforce things when they're young enough in that capacity. Beyond which, then it's too late. Beyond which, you you speak the truth, and they apply or don't apply, and and it's it may bring a lot of grief. A foolish son is a grief to his mother, and that's where it stops. That's where the verse stops. That's where the uh, it's where the. Uh, I mean, you may want to spank your your thirty year old, but uh, you know. <laughs> You're not going to be able to. It's not legal. It's not right. It's not biblical. It's not easy. <laughs> okay, and uh, and different things there. Whether you make your your parents glad or a grief, that's the uh, that's the issue, and that's where it stops. They are accountable before the Lord. Generational accountability is presented very clearly in the scriptures, and this was last week. I'm very. I'm glad we got through those verses last week, and I've bookmarked that uh, MP3 file. Uh, if you know, I'm going to go back to it, listen to it myself again and again. Or if somebody else has a question about generational accountability, I'll email them the link and say, "Listen to this one class in the series of Proverbs because it describes the Bible's uh, record related to generations, how God deals with generations, how God will defer certain blessings until an entire generation is gone." Or how God will defer certain judgment until an entire generation is gone. I didn't stress that last week, but um, God promised judgment upon uh, in a civil war within the Jewish people, but he told Solomon, he said, I'm going to wait till you're gone. It'll happen in your children's generation. And sure enough, as soon as uh, Solomon was dead and Rehoboam takes the throne, what happened? Civil war. And Jeroboam takes ten tribes and, and, and uh, declares independence and and uh, establishes a northern uh, a northern kingdom. Okay, northern kingdom is always the wicked kingdom. Oh, now I'm getting in trouble. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Um, I was teasing. Okay, it was a poor joke, terribly delivered. But the civil war. The principle being, though, the civil war didn't come in Solomon's day, because God determined to bless Solomon for David's sake, not for Solomon's sake. For David's sake, he blessed Solomon by, uh, by waiting until Solomon's death to then apply it in the next generation. Okay? And that's, I think that's significant. Likewise, the wilderness generation, they all had to die before the conquest could begin. That is significant. We concluded with that beautiful text I love so much in Acts 13.36. David, after he served the purpose of God in his generation, and, and I think that ought to be a key for each one of us to consider. What is God's purpose in my generation? What does he expect of me? When can I be like Paul to say, I have finished my course, I've run the race, when we've, we've uh, served the purpose of God in our generation? 
All right? Generational accountability. Now, moving on, we have prosperity that's mentioned here. Verse 2. See, I told you we get to verse 2, kind of. Um, well, no, we gotta, still, we still got to deal with gladness and foolishness, fathers and sons. We deal with posterity in verse 1. And before we get to um, secular prosperity in verse 2, with gain, profits and loss and gains, we've got to deal with the posterity prosperity in, uh, in verse 1. And so here's my fourth point. I've titled this Posterity Prosperity. <laughs> posterity Prosperity has only one standard. And that is the dichotomy of wisdom versus foolishness. Posterity, prosperity has only one standard. The dichotomy of wisdom versus foolishness. It's introduced here and actually we come back to this a dozen times or more in the book of Proverbs. It comes back again and again and again and again. Posterity, prosperity. What am I talking about? I'm talking about your children your grandchildren, to the third and fourth generation, however many uh, generations you live long enough to see. All right? And in our present structure, we don't actually live to see too many. We might see, what, the fourth? If we really uh, linger, and, and, and if the generations get in a hurry to, to produce them quicker, or, you know, sooner rather than later, uh, we, we might see a fifth, maybe. Probably not. Posterity, prosperity. That is, how well do your children do? How well do your grandchildren do? And we're not talking about their income. We're not talking about their portfolio or their net worth or their real estate holdings. We're talking about are your children walking in truth? Are your children wise or are your children fools? And the wealth comes. The true wealth that you can pass on to your children is not uh, something that uh, has to clear probate. <laughs> All right? It's not something that a judge has to uh, sign off on. Because the real legacy you give to your children is uh, the wealth of the Word of God and the priority that puts doctrine first. All right? This is posterity, prosperity. And, and if we can glean this, I'm going to take us through these scriptures here. If we can glean this, I think we save ourselves a ton of heartache in so many different ways. <clears throat> and this is uh, something I think that's dear in my thinking anyway because of where Sharon and I are now in our life and where our kids are in their life and, <clears throat> and different aspects there. Two that no longer live under our roof, two that still live under our roof. Um, and, and so what are they going to do? You know, um, Are they headed off to college? Are they headed off to you know, community college or Harvard? Are they headed off to, what, what, what are the, what's the career path they're going to follow? Are they going to be doctors? Are they going to be lawyers? Are they going to be, okay, not every lawyer. Is, you know, just relax. <laughs> Somebody said yesterday, it's only 100% of lawyers that give the rest of them a bad name. I was going to say 99%, but it wasn't my joke, so I'll repeat it as, as it was given. But here's the thing. You know, you have, you have two, you know, are we, are we in competition? Are we keeping up with the Joneses? Are we comparing ourselves to somebody else? Are we comparing ourselves and thinking, wow, you know, look at these guys. Wow, how successful. 
uh, and, and because of the schools they're sending their kids to, the careers they're in, or, or what they're doing with their life. The standard is, are they in the Word of God? I don't care if they're doctors or lawyers or, or whatever, or pastors or, or ditch diggers or whatever else they are. If they're in the Word of God, if they're serving the purpose of God in their generation, see, seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all this other stuff is all this other stuff. So we see it here. Uh, verse 1 of, of chapter 10 says, A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. That's the criteria. All right? It's not their, uh, their wealth or their career or their education. All right? Uh, verse 5, He who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. There's a dichotomy presented in that verse. It's the dichotomy of wisdom versus foolishness. So am I happy for the son that's better at saving? Uh, am I happy with the son who uh, is, is uh, a bit lazy and doesn't, uh, doesn't save the way the other son saves? And is it the saving versus the laziness that makes me happy? Or is it the reflection of wisdom versus foolishness? That's the basis for which the, uh, the reflection then is exhibited in, in personal life the basis for how it's reflected, okay? And this is the thing, too, you know, when you talk about whatever, drugs, promiscuity, a a lifestyle that's not a biblical lifestyle, the behavior, the sins, what they're doing is is less problematic than the, the attitude behind it. It's the fear of the Lord or lack of fear of the Lord that's, that's either walking in wisdom or walking in foolishness. Start with that. When we get over to chapter 13, we're going to see this dichotomy again. Proverbs 13 and verse 1 and verse 24. A wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. There's the dichotomy. And not only do we see a distinction here between wisdom and foolishness, but we see the scoffing activity of someone who not only rejects the wisdom, but, but lives a life in complete mockery of it. Views it as the, as the most foolish thing, and they mock it, and they, they scorn it, they reject it. They belittle others, likewise, for accepting it. And so uh, we have the, the, the contrast there. Again, it's a dichotomy. And if, if the, the, the posterity is going to be prosperous... If it's going to be blessed, it's going to have to fall on the, the wisdom side of this dichotomy. Otherwise, what is your legacy? What is the wealth that you're passing on to the next generation if, they've, if they're sco- uh, scoffing, rejecting it? You're leaving nothing in that next generation. Verse 24 of the same chapter. He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. And, and what, what, here again, here's a dichotomy, and from the parental side of things, it's expressed in terms of loving discipline or um, hateful, um, hateful uh, permissiveness, <laughs> shall we say, a hateful permissivity. You know, how many parents today aren't parents? They're buddies. They don't discipline, they, they, and, they, and they just allow everything. Well, you know. Expose them to whatever, and they gotta, they got to learn for themselves, and so we tolerate everything, permit everything, and are you kidding me? 
Do you have any kind of rules? Do you ever say no? Where do you draw the line? So this dichotomy is, is quite remarkable. And don't be shocked if <clears throat> the dichotomy actually becomes a product of uh, disobedience in your generation. And that's reflected in disobedience in their generation in, uh, in those aspects there. By the way, this then becomes the foundation for Hebrews 12, does it not? In the, the question that's asked, um, what son is there whom his father does not discipline? It's the son that his father hates does not love that son, does not acknowledge that son. But since God the Father loves us, he disciplines us. And we can, we can rejoice in that discipline. We can thank him for that discipline because it reflects that love. So we have the, uh, the dichotomy there. Withholding the rod. Withholding the rod. See? And um, Satan tells you, of course, that that's child abuse. <laughs> that if you if you spank your son, if you if you uh, that corporal discipline is is um, wrong according to the psychology of the wisdom of this world, and all that I think is is just designed by Satan to produce generation after generation after generation of undisciplined uh, scoffers, of undisciplined unwisdom. Say. Doug, you might want to observe that vehicle. All right. So, withhold the rod, you hate your son. And here's the thing, you get disciplined young and you start thanking God for it. And if you get enough of it early enough, that's all you need. All right? If you get enough of it early enough, it does what it's designed to do and it changes your attitude, it changes your thinking. You, uh, you get into your adolescent years, you get into your adult years, and you look back with thankfulness that, that you were shaped the way that you were shaped. At least I do in, uh, in those applications. All right, that's chapter 13. How about chapter 15 and verse 20? Another verse that expresses this dichotomy. Why, why are these verses so uh, uh, unanimous in presenting these as an either-or dichotomy? All right, that's something else Satan tries to blur. He says, well, don't be so black and white. Don't be so absolute. Don't be so either or. Well, wait a minute. The Bible is absolutely absolute and either or countless places. You're either saved or you're lost. You're either in fellowship or you're out of fellowship. You're walking in light or you're walking in darkness. You're serving the Father or you're serving Satan. You cannot serve God and mammon. And in all these sophisticated nuances that, that the... That, the satanic crowd tries to promote to say, well, come on, it's, there's, it's, uh, it's, there's a middle ground. No, there's not. More often than not, there's not. I think the, the bulk of, of biblical Christianity is, is black and white issues of left and right, of right and wrong. Okay, not everything. I mean, there's some that's neither. There's some in the discretionary will of God that you say, look, you're neither the better if you do nor the worse if you don't. In any event. So 1520, is that what I'm looking for? Um, A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. There it is. And you'll notice there's there's a whole string of these. The, um, The way of the lazy in verse 19 is a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. So the, the benefits there, if you want to contrast, you know, how you, you want to fight your way through a hedge of thorns or you want to 
walk the highway. Okay, well, do you want to be the fool or do you want to pursue God's wisdom? Um, Folly is joy to him who lacks sense, but a man of understanding walks straight. It's going to be fun when we get to some of these chapters and deal with some of these issues. Uh, and in fact, I think my job is going to get easy because most of these verses preach themselves. Most of these verses, uh, verses of, you know, a, a self-explanatory maxim that is self-evident in, uh, in so many ways to those that are humble under what God has to say. Chapter 17, verses 21 and 25. He who sires a fool does so to his sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. You know, is that what you're looking forward to? You know, the, the, the joy that a child has been born into the world, and you have all the hopes uh, for that son? I think some of the most glorious names of all the Bible are uh, an expression of, of uh, a parent's hopefulness. Okay? Because, you know, the people didn't name themselves that. The parents named them that. You know, God is my strength. You know, and you know, well, yeah, you give your kid a name, and you you want all the best for him, and you have all the expectations that they and their generation are going to glorify Jesus Christ. And when it uh, when it doesn't happen, what's the consequence? And um, you know how how uh, discouraging is it for parents of adult children to watch the uh, the follies unfold? Okay. So the he who sires a fool does so to his sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. And there it is. Chapter uh, see, I was twenty one. How about twenty five? A foolish son is a grief to his father, and bitterness to her who bore him. Bitterness to her who bore him. That's verse twenty five. How about chapter nineteen? Verse 3, no, verse 13a. We'll uh, ignore the marital part of this. <laughs> the second half of verse 13 is deals with the uh, contentions of a wife. But uh, the parental side of this, a foolish son is destruction to his father. You know, what, uh, what are the consequences there? When you understand the, uh, the shame that come upon a name, the consequences in the within the clan, within the family, within the clan. Um, destruction to his father when you know there are the financial consequences of uh, the various expenses and bailing the kid out of jail again and again and again, and other price that gets paid in in uh, when a house is put up as as security and for for bail, and then the bail is revoked, and then the, I mean there's. A lot of times, the the parents' generation, and they're trying to. Well, there's consequences that get then, then then take place. All right, real world financial consequences in uh, in a younger generation that affects that older generation. So destruction to his father. Now, like I said, the second half of verse thirteen. I'm going to. Reserve that the contentions of a wife are a constant dripping. We'll we'll preach that when we get to that to that point. Uh, but also, same chapter down to verse twenty six. Um, he who assaults his father and drives his mother away is a shameful and disgraceful son. Matter of fact, you know the, under Mosaic law they could be executed for that. Uh, it was capital punishment for physical abuse to a parent. 
and, uh, and, and a rebellious son, somebody this uncontrollable, the parent was supposed to take them to the gates. Take them to the gates and, the, and, and discuss the matter with the city elders, which were also, by the way, your cousins <laughs> in, in your clan and in your tribe, and, uh, and just lay the case before and say, look, I've been disciplining him. I love my son. I've applied the rod. It's not working. This son is incorrigible. And uh, I think you only reach the physical assault when you fail to take those other steps. And, um, yeah, there it is. So he who assaults his father and drives his mother away is a shameful and disgraceful son. And you know, the Pharisees were effectively doing this when Jesus rebuked them totally in their carbon manipulations when they were defying their parents, not meeting their parents' needs. They had created uh, you know, tax shelters and havens to, to, uh, to stash their funds away so they could deny loving their father and mother and honoring their father and mother. And Jesus nailed them on that when he was preaching on, on that issue devouring widows' houses and all the things they were doing there. Chapter 20 and verse 20. Proverbs 20, 20. He who curses his father or his mother, his lamp will go out in time of darkness. And uh, the father holds this seriously. Why is it such a big deal? Why is it such a big deal? Because think about what it models. Think about what father and son models. and models father and son. Here we are in the image of God. Here's our blessing in humanity. Angels weren't given this. Angels are not a procreative realm. They're a moral realm. They're accountable in terms of obedience and disobedience. They're a moral realm and there are fallen angels as there are unfallen angels, the elect unfallen angels. But angels are not a procreative species. Angels do not have the privilege to, in the image of God to portray a father and son the way that we do. And so uh, when, when, that, is, when that, is, that image is attacked, when tyrannical fathers are brutal towards their sons, that's why we, you know, what does it say? Uh, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Why is that? Because that is our privilege, that is our blessing in the portrayal of the father and the son. So a tyrant that abuses his children... God's going to deal with that severely. Likewise, a rebel that abuses his parents, that is such an antithesis of the humility of Jesus Christ, that is such an antichrist portrayal, the Father's going to judge that. All right? Absolutely going to judge that. I, I think it's um, sometimes, I don't know, do we, do we have the biblical view on things or do we, do we allow our enemies to shape the debate. And uh, I know I'm not the only one that, that talks to these people. And they, they, they criticize the Old Testament. They view the God of the Old Testament as a bloodthirsty genocidal maniac. And he's a bloodthirsty uh, monster. And, and that the Old Testament is just full of, of horrible, horrible things. And, 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 and so this is the, the argumentation we receive and we reject it all. We, we don't have any problems saying, well, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Yet, I wonder sometimes if certain of those attitudes kind of creep into our thinking as well. Is it hard for us to consider taking our child to the, to the gates? 
can we envision ourselves doing that? And if we can't envision ourselves doing that, why do we have an attitude different than what the Scriptures say? Okay? Can we envision ourselves doing that? I'm not saying it's fun or pleasant to think about, but there's many unpleasant things we're asked to do. All right, so cursing father and mother, it's a big deal. It is absolutely a big deal. And uh, for which capital punishment was assigned. Nowadays, our culture can't even agree on capital punishment for murderers. <laughs> they don't want to have capital punishment for murderers, let alone, well, what about capital punishment for rapists? Used to be the case. Capital punishment for uh, adulterers. Well, there's not a politician in D.C. that will vote for that. But capital punishment for homosexuals. Now I'm preaching hate again, okay? But this is Mosaic law. Now we're not under law. But can a Gentile nation pattern their laws uh, after the prototype that was given in the theocracy of Old Testament Israel? Can a Gentile nation pattern laws and should a Gentile nation pattern laws accordingly? (laughs) Yeah. I think so. All right, so that's uh, chapter 20 and verse 20. How about chapter 23? Look at that. There's uh, four verses in chapter 23 that speak to this, this dichotomy of wisdom versus foolishness. And this is where generational prosperity is exhibited. The prosperity of being able to pass on that heritage, of taking delight in a wise son, a wise grandson, in seeing that wisdom uh, exhibited. Chapter 23, verse 15. My son, if your heart is wise, my own heart will be glad, and my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. When your lips speak what is right. Man, that's going to be real generational wealth. That's going to be the, 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 the... You're going to be proud of that child. You're going to be blessed and encouraged by that child because they're in the truth. Uh, likewise, verse uh, say I was 15, then 16. Look at verses 24 and 25. Uh, I'll back up a little bit here. Verse 22 says, Listen to your father who begot you. Do not despise your mother when she is old. You know, when does honor your father and mother expire? <laughs> you know, as soon as you leave father and mother and cleave to the two, the, the, to one another, the two become one flesh. As soon as you're married and in your own house, does that mean you can stop honoring your father and your mother? No. Never. Not to their dying day and not even after their dying day. Even beyond their dying day. When they are uh, departed, do you still live in a, in, a, in a walk of wisdom that honors them? Why does the expression say when somebody dies, he was gathered to his fathers? <laughs> you ever think about that? What is the, the, the nature of that term? So... Um, Listen to your father who begot you. Do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. How do we participate in this economy? How do I buy truth? How do I buy truth? You know, in Revelation it says, I advise you to buy from me gold, pure gold, and uh, garments and eye salve to anoint your eyes. We ought to be participating in the heavenly marketplace. 
We ought to be full participants in the spiritual economy. Old Testament, New Testament alike, we have this. And it's free because the price has already been paid, but we still have to go make the purchase. If we don't go make the purchase ourselves, then we don't obtain what it is we're supposed to obtain, even though the cost has already been paid by the blood of Christ. uh, That's verse 23. Verse 24, The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who sires a wide son will be glad in him. Let your father and your mother be glad. Let them be glad. How do you do that? Be wise. Walk according to this wisdom. And let her rejoice who gave birth to you. Give me your heart, my son. Let your eyes delight in my ways. For a harlot is a deep pit and an adulteress. And this is where we start to get some of those echoes from the parental wisdom. Some of those echoes do appear here in uh, after that possible hinge in 2217. Uh, give me your heart, my son. Let your eyes delight in my ways. All right, so that's chapter 23. Finally then, chapter 29, verse 3 and verse 15. Amen. Let's see. I'll go ahead and start the chapter with verse 1. A man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. When the righteous increases, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, people groan. Well, there's application. (laughs) You want to talk politics today? There's a verse for you. A man who loves wisdom makes his father glad, but he who keeps company with harlots wastes his wealth. Again, are we talking about just behavior? Are we talking about sin? Are we talking about lifestyle? The, the, the behavior is a reflection of where the heart is. The father is glad um, or sad, depending, not on the kid's sex life, but on the, the heart attitude that is reflected by the kid's sex life. Okay? Is he walking in wisdom? Does he love wisdom? Is he living in his generation for the glory of Jesus Christ? Or not? That's the issue there. All right. And then last verse here, verse 15. It's kind of interesting. We've got um, more politics in this in this chapter. Verse 12, if a ruler pays attention to falsehood, all his ministers become wicked. What happens in an administration when from top down, what they love is the lie? The poor man and the oppressors have this in common. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. If a king judges the poor with truth, his throne will be established forever. Is there fairness in the justice system? Or are there people above the law? Are there people that get away with anything? If a king judges the poor with truth, his throne will be established forever. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. See, and so what we see in the household, what we see in the household gets magnified and reflected in a nation. A little spoiled brat that never gets punished for anything. 
a little spoiled brat that does whatever they want. They're never spanked, they're never disciplined, there's never consequences for rebellion. Multiply that and, and see what happens in a, in a, you have the breakdown of a culture. You have tyranny in a, in a, in a nation when there's never any discipline applied, no matter what. A child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. When the wicked increase, transgression increases, but the righteous will see their fall. Does that promise that it has to happen in time or may that happen in eternity? Might that be the great white throne? Correct your son, he will give you comfort, he will also delight your soul. I didn't put that on my list, but there it is. All right, well, there's a lot in these chapters. The Bible has a lot to say about these things. Verse 2 then, Proverbs 10, 2. Ill-gotten gains do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. We get to talk about money now. Ill-gotten gains, that is, the treasuries of wickedness. The treasuries of wickedness. What it is that you've piled up and you did so in a wicked fashion. And it's uh, almost nonsensical. It's almost uh, a play on words here in the sense that you have prophets, but they don't profit. You have loot, you have plunder, you have booty, but you have no money, you have no wealth. So gains without profit. In, in, in economic terms, gains are profit, right? At least it's income, less expenses is your profit. But here it's saying, no, there's no profit to that. The reason why is because we have to make sure that we're rightly dividing between the spiritual and the temporal. The eternal profit and loss statement is the only one that matters. The eternal profit and loss statement is the only one that matters. And you may have all kinds of gains on this earth. What does that matter in eternity? There is no eternal profit to any of that. In fact, all the treasure you accumulate on this earth is staying here. (laughs) You're not taking it with you. So ill-gotten gains do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. When you are saved by the grace of God and receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ, what happens? You've been delivered from death into life. You're going to have the eternal treasure for all eternity. That's the real issue. Let's contrast the earthly with the heavenly. Let's not be so wrapped up in the earthly wealth that we've lost track of the heavenly wealth. You cannot serve God and mammon. If you're serving mammon, you're not serving God. We've got to have the right perspective on these things. Money is to be our instrument. It is our tool. And I get that. We have to live in this world. You've got to eat. If a man does not work, neither let him eat. You've got to have an income. You've got to, to have uh, the, the means by which to support yourself, support your family, and bless the body of Christ. That is our, our, our expectation of work in the church age. But the, the money involved, the wealth involved, is simply a means to an end. It is not the end. It is a tool. It serves us. We don't serve it. If you have it backwards and upside down, you're a slave, like alcohol. Alcohol should serve us. If we serve alcohol, then we're addicted, we're drunk, and that's sinful. But if alcohol serves us, we're utilizing it in in moderation, we're utilizing it according to God's design for the merriment of the heart, then we have it in the proper perspective. 
Proverbs 10.2, Proverbs 11.4, 1 Samuel 12.21, Psalm 49. In case I don't get through this list by the end of the hour, you want to write them down. Proverbs 10.2, Proverbs 11.4, 1 Samuel 12.21, Psalm 49, the whole psalm, 20 verses in that psalm. Luke 12, verses 15 through 21, and then my favorite, 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. The eternal prophet and law statement is the only one that matters. You know, Jesus rebuked this fool who had more money than he knew what to do with and felt like he had to build bigger barns. And that was the very night of his death. He had no clue. Um, Proverbs 11.4 Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. You know, think about what money does, what it's designed for, and think about what money cannot do and it's absolutely useless for. All the wealth on earth. You could be the richest man under the sun and how's that going to help you in your spiritual battles? How's that going to help you glorify Jesus Christ in the spiritual engagement of the angelic conflict? Those, those, uh, those victories are not won with, uh, with earthly treasure. Righteousness delivers from death. You know, the, the ultimate day of wrath, of course, is the great tribulation. And the, and the, the, the richest people in the world are going to climb into holes in the ground and pull the mountains over their heads and they're going to try to hide from God. And uh, the richest empire on earth is going to be cast down in a single hour, commercial Babylon in Revelation 18. And the world will so rejoice, or will so um, uh, weep and lament that commercial Babylon has fallen and the global wealth is gone. But righteousness delivers from death. Uh, 1 Samuel 12, 21. 1 Samuel chapter 12. Hmm. All right. Uh, we actually, weren't we here Sunday morning? We were talking about um, how Moses and Samuel had interceded on behalf of the Jewish people. And how uh, in Jeremiah, uh, in chapter 15, the Lord said, I don't care if Moses and Samuel were praying with you, Jeremiah, I'm not going to save these people. And so we looked at some of the uh, occasions in which Samuel did stand as an intercessor. And uh, so here in in, uh, 1 Samuel 12, the... um, They're asking for a king and all these things. Verse 19, all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God so that we may not die for we have added to all our sins this evil by asking for ourselves a king. They finally caught on and realized their mistake and they know, man, we're in trouble. (laughs) So Samuel said to the people, do not fear, you have committed all this evil yet do not turn aside from following the Lord but serve the Lord with all your heart. You must not turn aside for then you would go after futile things which cannot profit or deliver because they are futile. If, if you are earthly minded, then all the money to the left and to the right are futile. No matter how much you have, it's futile. For the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. And so we want to have this contrast here. There's no profit in those futile things to the left and to the right. There's no profit. We want to have the eternal perspective related to that. All right? Psalm 49. 
Psalm 49. What a a uh, chapter here that's just full of truth. Hear this, all peoples, give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. Okay? And you can apply this no matter your tax bracket, no matter your income level, uh, because it comes down to the attitude. The widow with her two mites had the right attitude. All the rich people with all their money had the wrong attitude. So it's the perspective that we have. My mouth will speak wisdom and my meditation of my heart will be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will express my riddle on the harp. And so we have uh, the wisdom that we're applying here in in this sense. Why should I fear in days of adversity when the iniquity of my foes surrounds me? Whatever comes up, okay, whatever direction our nation goes, and we know the direction it is going, and, and however hard that fall hits, what is the source of our confidence? Is it in our money? Well, what happens when that crashes? Okay, Is it in our politicians? What happens when they betray us? Is it in, what, what is it in? Where is our confidence in the day of trouble? It ought to be in the Lord. It ought to be in his wisdom, in our understanding of Proverbs, in our understanding of enigmas or mysteries or riddles, in uh, the blessings that we have. Even those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches. What's their answer in in the day of adversity? No man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. See, when we, when we put things on an eternal scale, it comes down to our soul. And what does it take to ransom a soul? When we're, when we're going to contrast the secular with the eternal, the temporal with the eternal. You know, you can gain the whole world and yet lose your soul. You, you just lost in, in, that, in that exchange, right? Because it's the eternal profit and loss statement that's the only one that matters. And the price to pay for a single soul is more than any human can produce. But yet Jesus Christ paid the price for all of our souls. Jesus Christ paid the price for all mankind. He redeemed every soul for the good pleasure of God the Father. All right. For the redemption of his soul is costly, and he should cease trying forever, that he should live on eternally that he should not undergo decay. And so this is what we've got to do. And how many, you know, cease struggling? You should cease trying forever. You know, and you think about, the, you know, the, you scrimp and you save and you work all your life and you're struggling in this and you're struggling in that and you're, you're, all you're doing is accumulating stuff in the earthly realm. Have you given any thought to the spiritual realm? Uh, verse 10, he sees that even wise men die. The stupid and the senseless alike perish and leave their wealth to others. You know, the, the, the hardest worker, the best investor, the wisest guy who left the most glorious portfolio imaginable, he's just as dead as the, the drunk fool that left nothing to a string of illegitimate children he didn't acknowledge, <laughs> okay, and everything else. So what's the point? The point is, in this life, what wealth are we pursuing? What wisdom are we pursuing? And if, if 
on this on the one hand if this is a reflection of a man of wisdom glorifying jesus christ praise god and if this is a reflection of of evil and wickedness and defying the will of god well praise god his word is true don't don't miss the point that the the reflection of of the of of serving god or rejecting god is what it is okay the sadness is not on the the poor guy that died poor the sadness is is the failure to apply wisdom if that's the case okay and it may not be the case what if the man was applying wisdom and he died poor we celebrate right Um, verse 11 their inner thought is that their houses are forever and their dwelling places to all generations they have called their lands after their own names you know the the carnal mind what extent do they go to to try to produce their own version of immortality you know if you if you can what, what can you do to leave an eternal name for yourself what can you do to, to leave such a legacy that they speak of your name forever? You know, I mean, if they, if they, name, a, if they name a town after you, does, does Stephen F. Austin live forever because this town is named after him? Is his memory, you know, is it, is it guaranteed now because Austin, Texas is known as Austin, Texas, named after Stephen F. Austin? Is that how it works? <laughs> you know, you get your name uh, on uh, on a park, on a hospital, on a on a whatever. Okay, watch Music Man yesterday, and there's Madison Park and Madison Library and Madison Hospital, and you know because Miser Madison left all of his money to this town, and and uh, the nerve of this guy that you know he's all that he gets his name on everything. Okay, fun movie if you haven't seen it. Um, but think about it. What do people do to get a name for themselves? To, to make sure that their name lives on? Well, it's interesting. And is that, is that a way to produce eternal life for yourself? Well, how long does a town keep that name? Might the town be renamed? What was Austin called before it was called Austin? It had another name. Waterloo, yeah. It's going to have another name after, the, after this, maybe. What happens when we get overrun? And, and there's an endeavor to just rename stuff. See, sometimes people want to rename stuff because <laughs> they want to rename stuff. Mount McKinley is not Mount McKinley anymore. So does that mean that President McKinley uh, lost his eternal life? <laughs> you know, now it's Denali. Now we want to uh, we want to we want to give pagan names. We want to give uh, Native American names based upon what we think they used to name these things. Okay, well, you know, well, which which tribe are we going to pick? Because the the Comanches were eating the 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 Kiowas, and the Kiowas were eating the Arawaks, and the and the, I mean, they were defeating and eating. They were cannibalistic, and they were you know. So we have certain Native American names. I'm not opposed to it, but I don't worship it. I'm fine with a Native American name, whatever. But you know, we just we just know it for what it is. You know? All right. I'm running out of time. But the uh, they call their lands after their own names. 
say. I suppose, you know, if you can get a mathematical theorem named after you, then, you know, Pythagoras still lives. High schoolers hate him because they have to memorize the Pythagorean theorem and whatever, and whatever, you know. A guy I talked to last week, he wants to create a software protocol that will be named after him. And so in the field of, of software programming, then a hundred years from now, they'll still talk about this software protocol. It'll be named after him, and that will be his version of eternal life. Say, pray for that guy. I've been talking to him, saying, uh, you need eternal life. Man in his pomp will not endure. He is like the beasts that perish. So this is the way of those who are foolish and of those after them who approve of their words. You know, your legacy only lasts so long as the following generations decide to keep it up. Okay? But, you know, if, if, if later generations decide, you know what, we're not going to celebrate Columbus Day anymore, well, then it goes away. They stop celebrating it because he was just, uh, you know, he was just a slave-owning white guy and, and he abused the Indians and blah, blah, blah. We're not going to have Columbus Day holidays ever again. You only maintain the Hotland Memorial so long as the later generations say you're going to. All right. As for uh, sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd. And the upright shall rule over them in the morning. And their form shall be for Sheol to consume so that they have no habitation. But God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol. He will receive me. Now we're going to sit with Jesus Christ in judgment. And death and Hades will be given up before the great white throne. And we're going to pass judgment upon the great, the small and the great. Do not be afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not descend after him. Though while he lives, he congratulates himself. And though men praise you when you do well for yourself, he shall go to the generation of his fathers. They will never see the light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. So when we consider wealth, when we consider the accumulation of wealth, when we consider an entire lifetime accumulation of wealth and what gets passed on to heirs and the legacy that we leave, let's not uh, lose track of the fact that it's the eternal profit and loss statement is that's the only one that matters. The legacy we leave to our children is not the Carnegie endowment of whatever, of this and that. It is the, it is the priority for the Word of God. It is the legacy of glorifying Jesus Christ. All right, Luke 12, 1 Timothy 6, I'm out of time. We'll pick up with this uh, next week and then we'll move on into verse 3 of uh, Proverbs chapter 10. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. Thank you for this study. Thank you for this day. And we give you the praise and the glory, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.